0: You're listening to the New City Church Sermon Podcast. We exist to love God, to love our neighbors, and to make known the good news of Jesus Christ. To this end, we seek to cultivate a spirit-filled, gospel-centered community that multiplies disciples of Jesus and churches for the glory of God, the joy of all people, and the good of the city. If you'd like to learn more about New City, including service times, discipleship pathways, and opportunities to serve and fellowship with us, please visit us online at newcitykc.org. If you have a Bible, to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to um, try to, in my mind, cut down my sermon so we're not here till uh, 4 o'clock. And uh, so Matthew chapter 7, we're going to continue our series in coffee mug verses. Those pesky little familiar verses of Scripture that we throw around like daggers often, um, often taken out of context, often used to pummel people. But we've been walking through these series of very familiar verses, if you've been around the Bible at all, um, really not to make fun of the, the the sad ways we often apply them, but, but to really hopefully kind of mind the depth and the beauty of what they are when we read them in the context. And so um, by looking at the context, these verses are wonderful and great and should be used in our lives and to minister to other uh, people. And so this morning we're going to be looking at, just for a few moments here, another very, very familiar one from Matthew chapter 7 about judging. Why are we so judgy? Um, where Jesus says, judge not. And so um, if you look at Matthew chapter seven, I'm gonna read the first 12 verses and then we'll we'll jump in for a few moments here this morning. So Matthew chapter seven, uh, verse one says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened." this morning. So Matthew 7, I think one of the most misunderstood, misapplied sections of of scripture because of the ways in which we're so quick to make judgment on others, so quick to condemn um, others. And so I want to look at that just for a moment here. And I want to first look at the audience in which Jesus is addressing is first the judger. He's addressing the people that are making those Judgments. Maybe you notice there in the first couple verses, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so what Jesus is doing is first pointing the finger at the person who is making the pronouncements, making the judgment on other people. And Jesus is preaching and teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. We don't have a lot of context Is he thinking about a specific situation or a specific person. But what he's saying is, hey, fingers are pointed back at you. Be careful how you judge lest you be judged. Be careful in the manner in which you judge. Because that seems to be the, the note that Jesus is hitting on the, pa- the the piano is the measure in which you use to judge people, right? There's a, a particular manner or measurement he says here. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So, there's a way of going about this. And Jesus is very concerned about this. And actually, if you go to Luke's gospel in Luke chapter six, there's a little section of the Sermon on the Mount in Luke chapter six. And this, this kind of brings out the context of Matthew seven as well. And in Luke chapter six, verse 37, Jesus says this, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That that word of measurement, how we go about judgment and condemning other people, seems to be highlighted here in in Jesus. And and when we think about the word judge, we could translate it as really it's it's about forming a critical opinion of something. It can be positive or negative it's by examination or scrutiny so judging something or someone is a very human act isn't it we do it all day long right we're examining things we're looking at things we're 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 putting things under the microscope going is this good is this bad should i go this way should i go that way so so judgment on a human level on a on a relational level is not a weird thing we do it all day long everybody judges people everybody examines things to decide which way to go. You do it in your work, you do it in your family, you do it in, in relationships. That's not a strange thing. But judge in the Greek can also be translated as condemnation, which is a different word. So take out judge and put condemnation. Condemn not that you not be condemned. Condemnation is a whole different thing than examining something, looking at something, considering something, which direction to go. Condemnation is really about you are dead to me. You are separate from me. Condemnation is you are a bad person. Get out of my sight. I want nothing to do with you. Condemnation, the way it's defined, is actually a, this idea of separation, separation. So it's not just judge not, it's condemn not, it's I want to separate myself from you. I want you to go over here while I go over there. I want nothing to do with you. So I think what Jesus is addressing is definitely something more sinister, which makes sense because if you look at the context in which Jesus is teaching in Matthew 7, it's the Sermon on the Mount. We're all probably f- fairly familiar. One of Jesus' famous teaching section of scripture. I think if if the church of Christians really followed the Sermon on the Mount, we'd see a whole different picture of Christianity. But but chapters Matthew 5, 6, and 7, in the context, one I think wise Bible teacher, and I've referenced him many times over the years, but Dallas Willard is really helpful in his book. He writes about the, the um, the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, it's really important to read the Sermon on the Mount in its context to notice how each section of the sermon builds on the next. And so if you go back to chapter, Matthew chapter five, Jesus addresses anger. And isn't it brilliant how Jesus addresses anger in such a way that the seed of anger can often lure, lead to violence, can lead to murder. Anger in itself isn't bad, but it's what it leads to where it goes off the rails, Right? He talks about lust, and he says, hey, there's this, you know, if you have lust in our hearts, guess what? Lust in itself, un, unexamined, can lead to adultery, right? It goes off the rails. He talks about loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us at the end of chapter 5. But the, the key note here is that, that, remember, there's a God in heaven who, who showers even evil people and broken people and sinful people with his grace and his mercy. Shouldn't we do the same thing? Jesus then addresses anxiety and contentment and worry. When we're anxious and worried, guess what? We're thinking about tomorrow and the next day, a day that doesn't even exist. So why not grab onto God's grace that's sufficient for today? Why are you anxious and worried about things that haven't even happened yet? So in that context, imagine if you're full of anger, imagine if you're full of lust, imagine if you're full of anxiety and, and worry. Guess what? Usually, typically, those are the most condemning and judgmental people on the planet. They're dealing with their own hurts. They're dealing with their own anger. They're dealing with their own lack of contentment. And so if I'm not experiencing God's contentment and God's grace and I'm dealing with my anger and lust, guess what? I'm going to lash out on you and I'm going to condemn you. Almost every time when someone comes into my office and they are angry with me, almost 99% of the time it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the hurts and the pains that they're dealing with, right? And that doesn't put me on the hook. I'm a fool. I mess up all the time, and people have every right to tell me I'm a fool and mess up all the time, right? That's not the point. But the point is usually underneath, in their hearts, in their souls, is a spirit of anger or lust or pain that they haven't dealt with. And so guess what? Don't we all do it in our own families? It's usually the people we love the most we lash out on. Isn't that a weird dynamic, (laughs) right? Right? I mean, Larry, I'm, I'll be kind to Larry in the office, but you know, when it comes to my own wife, sometimes she gets the, the brunt of all my pain and all my sin and all my junk, right? So I think what Jesus is doing, if we look at it in the context as the sermon builds, as he's addressing this judgmental, condemning spirit, but it, it's rooted in the, the anger and the lust and the anxiety and the fear and, and the ways in which we lash out towards other people. And I would say, you know, when we, when we look at the internet, we look at social media, we look at politics, we look even in the church, is that when we see people condemning other people and we see people lashing out and, and judging other people, not knowing them, not knowing the context, not knowing their story, not knowing their motivations, guess what we should do? We should weep and pray for them because that's a hurt person, right? Like if you think your job is to troll the internet and pastor the internet, there's something broken in your soul right? Like we laugh and we go, yeah, but, but the reality is like we should feel bad for them, right? Like we should. We shouldn't go like, oh my gosh, can you believe these jerks? It's like, no, we should be like, hey, there's something deep in them that is broken, that is off. Like if I think my job is to just walk around the city and just condemn and judge and point the finger at everyone that I don't even know, right? And I think that's what Jesus is forcing us to examine, is that when we condemn people, also we aren't able to minister to them because guess what? Condemnation is about separate, separating yourself from them. I don't want nothing to do with you. I want you to be away from me. I don't want to deal with you. I don't want to see you. So be careful how we judge and condemn others because often fingers are pointed right back at us. That's what Jesus is addressing here. Judge not lest you be judged. Because guess what? Nobody is innocent. We're all sinners who need God's grace. Amen? Right? Two of you, that should go over bigger. Yes, amen. You're all sinners who need God's grace, right? No one gets off the hook here, right? So secondly, the judger. But secondly, there's a log, as you know, in this strange text. There is a log that Jesus addresses. We see this in verse 3 and 4 and 5. It's very insightful. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? Jesus is very concerned about this log. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Remember what I said about Jesus is very concerned about the measure by which we judge or condemn other people. It's the posture in which we do it, the attitude in which we do it here. Now, notice what he says here. He says, see. Why are you so quick to see? So imagine a situation where someone sees, Why do you, verse 3, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? Someone who is judgmental and condemning is always looking to find the speck of sawdust in their brother's eye. They're looking for it. Why do you always seem to point that out? Why do you always seem to find that, right? <laughs> like, I mean, you know, you know people, maybe you are that person. I don't know, but, but you always seem to find that flaw, right? That thing, that opportunity to pounce, that opportunity to condemn, see. But also he says, notice what he says here as well. Say, not only do you see it in your brother or sister's eye, but you have no problem saying, hey, can we talk about that sawdust in your eye? Can can we point that out, right? Can we can we make that known? Why do you want to pull why do you want to point out the sawdust in someone else's eye when you have a giant log in your eye? Jesus condemns and says, You hypocrite, you need to pull out the, the log in your own eye so you can see clearly. Now, this is where this verse typically goes off the rails. Here's how this goes. You ready? Hey, brother or sister, as long as you pull the log out of your own eye, you have every right to judge and condemn everyone around you. That's how usually how that's interpreted. That's not how to read this text. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He actually said, judge not, condemn not. He's actually going toward us, going towards the audience saying, why are you so judgmental? Why are you condemning everyone else? The, 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 the punchline here is not, hey, pull the log out and then you can just blow up everyone around you. Amen. Right? No, that's not what he's saying here. Jesus is dealing with the log in our own eye, the hypocritical log when we're looking to judge and condemn everyone. Why? Because you can't see the other person with a log in your eye. Are you with me? Like it's really difficult when you have a giant uh, log coming out of your eye, right? I mean, one of the great bands of the 90s, Plank Eye, that's what that was about. Um, You can go Google that. But, But the reality is when there's a log in your eye, I cannot see Brian or Scott or Jonathan or Tony. So I just, instead of seeing them, guess what I do? I condemn them or I judge them. There's no love here. There's no compassion here. There's no considering their situation. There's no considering their motives. There's no considering their story. There's no considering what they've done or why they've done it. Because why? Because I have a giant log in my eye. So Jesus is saying here, here's what it it says. If you you hypocrite, first take the log, verse 5, out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Take that log out so you can actually see the situation and what's going on rather than pouncing and condemning and saying you're essentially dead to me. I know many of us have read this in in the context of, well, you know, now I have free reign, Jesus says, just take the log out, I'm not a hypocrite, but that's not digging into the realities of us and the mercy in which we don't extend and the sin in which we inhabit and the ways in which we often don't do this very well. Now, there might be situations in our lives where it's not applicable if someone's dealing with drug addiction or somebody's, you know, committing adultery or doing something heinous, whatever it it may be. Maybe that's not our struggle, but we don't go to a place and go like, well, I don't struggle with that, so I have every right to pounce on you, right? It's never going to go well that way. It's to say, well, maybe I'm not doing that specifically, but I have my own things. I have my own sins. I have my own problems, right? We all just sin differently, right? amen? Like we just, we just sin differently. Your struggles are different than mine. Mine are different than yours, right? Some are more obvious. Some are less obvious. So coming back to the measure idea, that Jesus is very concerned about how we pronounce judgment or condemnation on someone else. He, he says, remove the log so you can see the situation. You can see the person more clearly. And I, and I love what um, in, earlier in the sermon, when, when Jesus talks about in Matthew 6, if you don't forgive in the, in the um, Lord's prayer, if you don't forgive, guess what? You won't be forgiven. It's the same principle. If you don't understand the forgiveness that's been given to you, guess what? You're not gonna extend forgiveness to other people. If you don't understand that your judgment day has been taken on by Jesus, you're, not gonna be, you're just gonna judge everyone else. If you don't understand the mercies that have flown into your life, guess what? You're not gonna be a very merciful person to those around us. And so this, this measuring idea um, in, in ancient culture around Jesus' day, there, were, there was a rabbi, um, I forget his name, but um, he, he had this line. He said, judge each person with the scales weighted in their favor. So when Jesus talks about this measuring idea, that's a great, I think, visual of what would happen. So you'd go into the marketplace and you'd have these scales of, of grain. And you put the grain on the scales and they try to balance it out. And so what, what Jesus is kind of talking about in this measure analogy, and what this rabbi is kind of saying is that, hey, when you go into the marketplace, imagine there's these scales of grain. What I want you to do on the mercy side is I want this side of grain to be overflowing and out of balance. So instead of making things even, what I want you to do is I want your mercy towards other people, your condemnation, your judgment to go away. And I want you to err on the side of mercy, err on the side of, you could even use the the modern word of give people the benefit of the doubt, right? How often have we gone into our kids' rooms, if you have kids, and just blown them up, not knowing the situation and just assuming they did something and then you find out like a dumb parent, you're like, oh my gosh, they didn't even do that. Um, my wife and I had this situation uh, recently. It was actually quite comical. His, my son is playing soccer, and um, they, they sent us all these the soccer gear that he needed for the year, like shorts and shirts and all this stuff. And, and our son, one of our sons can be very forgetful and kind of leave his clothes around the yard. and just it's a long story. but um, and we were going after him, assuming he lost the shorts, but we found out that they were never shipped to our house. And so we literally were tearing our house apart, condemning, judging our son for shorts that didn't exist. It's a good parenting moment. How often do we do that and we don't err on the side of giving them the benefit of the doubt that perhaps he was telling the truth and he doesn't have the shorts? I laugh now and I weep later. What if we were the kind of people that we would measure the scales, weigh the scales, and we'd err on the side of mercy. And there's a reason why we err on the side of the mercy is because that's what our Heavenly Father is like. If you go back to Luke chapter 6, I referenced it earlier, and I I love the way um, Jesus, I mean, you could go to Matthew as well, but um, Luke chapter uh, 6, when he talks about loving our enemies, he gives this little motivator, and he he says in in Luke 6, verse 34, or 35, But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Common grace here. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. Careful how we condemn and judge others when we forget about the mercies of God, that God is even merciful to those that don't believe what we believe. He's merciful to his entire creation. Rain falls on the just and the unjust because that's the kind of God that he is. So shouldn't we emulate our Heavenly Father? If we are being conformed to the image of, of Christ, we should emulate our Heavenly Father who is full of mercy, who's always going to err on the side of mercy. I want to be the kind of person, I want us to be the kind of church where we err on the side of mercy, not judgment and condemnation. Because God is a really good judge and doesn't need our help. He's really good at it. He's a lot wiser and he sees all things. We don't see all things. You don't know every motive of every heart and every action. It can be, be challenging. I get it, right? Right? but somehow we, we, we puff up our checks and go, I know what you're doing. I know my wife and I laugh at this all the time is that when we read each other's minds, it never goes well, right? You're judging their motivation of why they did what they did, right? It's not good for a marriage. It's not good for any relationship. It's not good as we see others. And as we see our, our God is that we want to be people who err on the side of mercy. And so when we are Finding ourselves in that mode of that posture of condemnation, that posture of judgment in those moments as we are forgetting and not realizing how merciful God has been to us. It's easy to condemn and judgment. It's low-hanging fruit because we're all really good at it, myself included, right? It's just easier, right? It kind of gets us off the hook, it's easier just to go like, well, they're they're, they're this, and they're that, and they are they don't vote the right way, and they don't, you know, live the right way, and they don't, you know, can you believe how they spend their money? And it's like, you don't know their story. You don't know their context, right? So, we're going to walk around all day just pointing fingers and, you know, yelling at people, right? And I, I I'm going to be careful how I say this. Um, I, I don't know if you've been to the plaza, um, it's in our city, um, but one of the things that just makes my skin crawl, and again, I'm all for proclaiming the gospel. I'm all for sharing the gospel with, with friends and neighbors and, and anyone that's, that's open to it. But with a blowhorn on the street corner, is that really the spirit of Jesus? Condemning, judging people. And yeah, hey, we're calling people to repentance. I get it. But they have no concern for that person. They don't love that person, right? They're just yelling and screaming at them. Like, and I know for some people, it's because of the seminary and they gotta do get class credits, but I just wonder if that's like a better way to train people in evangelism. I just wonder, is that really the spirit of Jesus? Like, and there's times we need to call out sin, yes, and we need to say, hey, repent and believe, yes, amen. Jesus was all about that, but the spirit, the posture, the measure in which we do it that Jesus says here matters just as much. Because here's the thing, when we condemn people, and we judge people almost every time their behavior does not change, right? Some of us are in counseling because of the condemnation and the judgment we experienced growing up or our whole lives. It doesn't change your attitude. It just makes you feel like crud, right? And so if you were in a relationship or in a family for your whole life, it's just condemnation, judgment, condemnation. You're trash. You don't measure up. You're never good enough. Guess what? You're probably sitting in a counseling chair somewhere. It does not work. And it does not work for the people that we love and generally want to see, know, and love Jesus. It never works, right? I know as a dad it doesn't work. That doesn't motivate my children, maybe for a moment, but not for long term. And so the good news, church, is is that if we're in Christ, that the good news is that Jesus has taken our judgment day. He has taken our place. The the anger, the sin, the wrath of God has fallen on him. So we don't have to be condemning and be judgmental because Jesus is already that. He's already fulfilling that role and he's really good at it. It's not our role. And if it's not our role, that means we can be merciful like our heavenly father who showed mercy to you on the cross, who forgave you on the cross, who loved you on the cross when you didn't deserve it, when you deserved condemnation, when you deserved judgment. God came for you. How dare we be condemning and judgmental towards our world and towards our neighbors? Because God didn't do that toward us. And so the punchline here. When we think about this log as removing the log, is just be careful how we condemn and judge because we might be the problem. Fingers might be pointed right back at us. Careful how you do this. Careful what you're saying. You might be forgetting about the mercies of God that have been extended to you. Then last, being as brief as I can, how do we do this? Is there a solution? The the solution, how do we fight a judgy, I love that word, and condemning spirit? is there is there a way forward well i think the way forward is one not ripping out of context in matthew 7 and kind of keep reading i think the first 6 verses and 7 to 12 kind of need to be a package deal here so notice what it says in verse 6 do not give dogs what is holy as you do and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives the one who seeks find. the one who knocks will be opened this is all about prayer and then notice verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do you also to them for this is the law and the prophets. I think there's some really practical teaching here for how we fight this kind of judgment, judgmental condemning spirit is first we have to deal with the pigs and the dogs. Obviously. Um, Dallas Wilder calls it condemnation engineering. Um, it also involves, it's, it's this idea that we force things on people that they aren't ready for. Do you know what I'm talking about here? It could be as simple as in a human level. Do you know when you went to um, English class in high school, they made you read the classics? Right? Do you remember this? Um, yeah, exactly. Most of you sugar that kind of. I wasn't really into it. I didn't really understand what was going on. But typically, when you get into the classics, depending on that age, you know, like a junior, uh, maybe a sophomore, maybe a freshman in high school, you're not ready for the classics. I mean, they're just hard enough to read even on a good day, Right? But there's these things even in education that are forced upon us before we're ready to accept them. We're just not mature enough to handle them. A lot of those things in education, a lot of those things in culture are, are just forced on us probably well beyond our maturity, ability, uh, and, and ability to intake these things. But, but also I think what, what's happening here in, in this passage is also this idea that even in, in religious things or Christian things or things of God is that sometimes we force things on people they're just not ready for yet. That's what Jesus is actually talking about here with the pigs and the dogs. Why would you give a dog something that's holy? They're not going to know what to do with it. It's a dog. Why would you give pearls to a pig? If they eat it, they're going to choke on it and die, and they're probably going to attack you, as Jesus says. It's very practical. They're, They're just not ready for it, so don't force that on someone else. Don't don't force your judgment and your condemnation on other people. They're just not ready for it. there's some some wisdom in this is to, to read the situation and go, how do I handle this person that's maybe falling apart or having a hard time? Am I trying to force something on them they're just not ready for? Why are you gonna give pearls to pigs? They're just gonna choke on it. It's not gonna be good for anyone because they're just gonna turn on you and attack you. Dogs don't need to wear a crucifix, right? They don't need holy things, that's a dog right? So so it's understanding what is going on, what's the situation. And I think um, some people have interpreted this as this is about, you know, holy things and worthy things. Dogs aren't worthy and pigs aren't worthy. They should be condemned. That's not what the spirit of Jesus would say. It's not what it's saying here. It's just they're not ready for it. So I think often in our desires to condemn and judge, it's we're dealing with a situation where the person on the other side just isn't ready to receive what you have. And I think what happens is that we are taking them out of God's control and we're putting them in our control. That's what judgment and condemnation does. Instead of leaving them in the hands of God, guess what we do? We become God. It's my job to tell them what's up. It's my job to correct their behavior. It's my job to help them do what is right. And so we become the ones who control them rather than taking them in prayer and praying for discernment of how do I speak into this? How do I wisely love them? Because again, we're not talking about passivity here. There are times and places where we need to speak into somebody's life. You don't have to do it in a condemning and judgmental way. But we need to love them and speak truth into their lives. Like if somebody's addicted, someone's going off the rails, it wouldn't be loving just to be like, well, I hope they figure it out. And that's where I think also Jesus' teaching on being snakes and doves is really helpful, Right? Remember when Jesus talks about this in Matthew 10? In Matthew uh, 10 verse 16, behold I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. There's some really practical teaching on this because a snake is always watchful and observant. Right? We only think of snake as, you know, attacking and eating children and, you know, whatever but they're very observant, right? They never act out of character. Have you ever watched a snake and you've been on a hike and there's like a rattlesnake, right? They're watching, observing, like when they're going to strike, they're very calculated, right? So, so what Jesus is saying is you need to be like that. As you go out in the world, you need to be like a snake and be watchful and observant, right? It's about timeliness. But simultaneously, you need to be innocent like a dove who is gentle and unassuming, right? Almost like you're not even seen but whatever you do and the ways in which you respond, you do it in a gentle way, right? You're like a snake, you're wise, you're timely. okay, when do I say something? When do I not say something? But then like a dove, you do it in a gentle, unassuming way. And hear me out, judging and condemning people in a loud and obnoxious voice never leads to any kind of change. My wife tells me this all the time. (laughs) Yelling at the kids is not gonna get them to do what they want to do. It's actually in those moments when I find a moment of grace where it's like when I speak in a kind, gentle way that they actually begin to hear me, right? So there's the dogs, there's the pigs. We don't need to control people in this way. We need to be like snakes and doves with timeliness and gentleness. And I know this can be done. I found this, um, I was reading this book this week and this woman gave a great example of someone who, uh, a colleague who was caught in adultery, and she says, "There's a way you can address that without destroying them and condemning them and judging them." And here's what, he, here's what she says. She says, um, "What if you engage this person and says, "Hey, I know you've been working late, and I know your marriage is falling apart." And I know Shirley because there's always a Shirley in the office is a good-looking woman. But doing what you're doing is not wise. It doesn't honor God. It's going to destroy your family. You need to stop, right? What if you actually address someone that way rather than coming with guns blazing going you dirty how dare you blah 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 but that actually at least gives them an opportunity to hear you it doesn't mean they're necessarily going to change but I'm not controlling them in that moment I'm doing it lovingly and wisely without a condemning judgmental spirit and I'm still addressing the heinous sin that is going on it can be done folks we live in a culture that doesn't believe this It doesn't think we can actually engage people in a patient, kind manner. That's probably why we all talk past each other because we're yelling and screaming and no one's even hearing anybody. So with that, there's prayer, as I mentioned. That's why we want to keep that section there. He talks about asking Asking is the heartbeat of prayer. How can I ask for good gifts for this person? So instead of condemning and judgmental, guess what I do? I bring this person before God in prayer, asking God, can you work in this situation? I don't know. I find myself praying this a lot. God, I don't know this situation. I don't know their motives. I don't know why they're doing what they're doing. Only you do. But God, I pray just like a good father that loves to give good gifts to their children that you would intervene and work in this situation. Give me the wisdom so that I can respond with love and grace and mercy and appropriately rather than condemning and judging them. And the beauty about prayer is you can do that all day long. As you walk into a situation with your spouse or your friend or a coworker or a neighbor, is God I don't know the situation. I don't know the hurts that they're facing. I don't know the pain they're facing. I don't like what I'm seeing, but I don't want to judge them and condemn them. God, help me take the log out of my own eyes so that I can see them as you want me to see them. Prayer is essential in this. Prayer for wisdom. Also, prayer, I think, changes us so that we can be kind to the other person and be gentle with the other person and be patient with the other person. Because remember this church, We can't say we love God and hate our brothers and sisters. Those are incompatible. Are you with me? You can't say you love God and judge and condemn everyone around you. That's incompatible with the Bible and with God and His character. Right? 1 John 4. Right? How can you say you love God but you hate your neighbor? Right? It's like, well, I love God. I go to church every Sunday. Praise Jesus, but I wish you were dead to me. Doesn't work. Because the same character of God that is flowing in our veins and is forming and shaping us, the same mercies that should be flowing through our veins should be the same mercy that we show our neighbors and our brothers and our sisters. You can't talk about one without talking about the other. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You can't cut off the neighbor part and go like, "I love God, but I hate everyone around me. I wish you were dead to me, right? It Doesn't work. It's the love of neighbor that actually demonstrates that there's a genuine love of God. It's not the other way around. It flows together, right? All the commandments hang on loving God and loving our neighbor. And so our posture toward God and towards neighbor shouldn't be a disconnected thing, which leads to our last little practical point is did you notice the golden rule in verse 12? And again, that's why we can't sever this off. Jesus talks about judging and condemning and prayer, and then he goes right to 12. That's kind of its own little thing. And he says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law of the prophets. Because I know what you want more than anything in your life is to live your days while everyone else is condemning and judging you all day long. Right? That should be no. (laughs) Yeah, nobody wants that. Who, who in their right mind would want that? That's what the golden rule is here. So, so if we're going to judge and condemn people, you know, that's what I want in my life, right? I'm quick to judge and condemn everyone else, but I don't want anyone else doing that to me all day long, right? Pointing out all my faults, pointing out all my sin, pointing out all my, all my junk all day long. God already sees that. He already knows that. He knows my heart. He knows everything a, a, about me. And yet the good news of the gospel Is that Jesus, knowing all those things, was willing to put on his back, literally, (laughs) our sin, our judgment, our condemnation, the things that we deserved. So that he wouldn't walk around all day long condemning and judging us. I've said this a million times for 12 years at our church. If you hear a word of condemnation in your head, in your heart, in your soul, and you think it's from God, it's not. There is no condemnation in Romans 8.1 for those who are in Christ Jesus. God never condemns his own people. He actually doesn't judge them either because judgment day came on Jesus. That's done and, and over with. We will stand before God, but we will not bank our lives on what we've done or our accomplishments or how good we've been, but we will bank our lives on, the, on faith in Jesus and his righteousness, that we will stand before God one day. And we're not gonna look to ourselves and go like, well, I hope I balanced out the scales. I hope I did enough good things. I hope I didn't cuss too much, right? I hope I didn't cut too many corners. What we'll do is we'll turn our gaze to Jesus and go, I banked my life on him. The one who kept the golden rule perfectly The one who loved me when I wasn't deserving of that love, the one who died for his enemies, that's where I'm banking my life on. Because we all fall short of the glory um, of God. And I think this is also why we can love the sinner and hate the sin. I know that's cliche. Maybe that's a great coffee mug verse. It's actually not a verse, but but we can love the sinner and hate the sin because that's exactly what Jesus did. You remember John 3, 16? You remember that good old one? We could have done that one right? The one you'll see at the Chiefs game, some guy holding up, doesn't know what it means, but you know, he's got it through, you know, as Buckner, or what's his name, um, kicks a field goal, right? Right over to John 3.16. I think he sits behind the goalpost. You'll actually see him. But he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Don't stop here, because we always forget about verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Why are we so quick to condemn and judge when Jesus himself didn't come to condemn the world? He came to save it and redeem it and restore it back to its original order. Right? God hates sin and hates the realities of sin and Satan and all the things that, that it produces, injustice and pain and loss and cancer, and tsunamis, and and the way the world is tilted on its axis and walks with a limp. He hates all of that, but he doesn't hate the world and he doesn't hate us. He came, he came because he loved the world. God sent his only son because he loved the world, not to condemn it, but to redeem it and to love it and to restore it and to save it. That's who he is. That's what he's like. And so as we follow this same savior and as we follow this God, our character, our nature should, be, should exude that same kind of spirit of Jesus that doesn't condemn and judge because we know God is redeeming all things the God who's merciful to those that don't deserve mercy. For there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as we walk in the orbit of Jesus, we'll get a sense more and more how amazing and beautiful this reality is of the gospel so that we can extend that same mercy and grace to those around us. Saying, (laughs) pfft. I know what that's like. How many times have I fallen on my face? Right? Before we pull out guns blazing and blast the whole internet, go, let me show you. Or even blast our friends and family. I don't think that's the spirit of Jesus. And so church, as we uh, take the Lord's Supper this morning, as we do every week, we're reminded of Jesus who kept the golden rule, who loved us even in our own sin, who loved us even in our own um, folly, uh, who went to the cross, who represented by the broken body, his body was broken, represented by the cup, his blood was shed to forgive us of all of our sins because of the ways we deserve judgment and condemnation, and yet he comes to show us mercy and grace and forgiveness. So I pray as you come to the table this morning, you'll remember that, you'll be nourished by that, and that we can be nourished by the same God of mercy, the same God of grace. So why? So that we can go be that same kind of merciful, gracious people that God has called us to be in the same spirit of Jesus, right? That's how this works. It's not like, oh, this is for me. It's not for anyone else. <laughs> and so if you're a believer in Christ, please come and celebrate the Lord's Supper uh, with us. We'll have two lines in the front. The way we take communion is we break off a piece of the bread, we dip it in the cup. Um, If you're not comfortable with that, we have some gluten-free bread, uh, allergy-free bread in the middle, and also some little cups. You can just grab those if you don't want to mix grabbing bread and and all that. Um, Totally fine, and you can dip in that, or if you want to dip in that cup as well. And before we um, close in prayer, I just want to ask a simple question. Um, Are there any logs in your eye today um, that you need God's help to remove so that you can see others and show them mercy? We probably all do on some level, but just as we pray, I just want to encourage you to be thinking about that. Are there just ways we can't see other people <laughs> because there's this giant log coming out, right? Um, God would have us want to bring that before him and confess that to him, so let's, let's pray. Father, thank you um, that you don't treat us as we deserve. Um, these are hard texts. These, these are not something we can all just kind of puff out our chest and go, yep, got it, nailed it. But God, forgive us when we are so quick to condemn, so quick to judge, so quick to think we know everybody's motives and everybody's heart and everybody's reasons for doing whatever they're doing. But God, give us the spirit of Jesus that is quick to show mercy. Help those scales in our lives to be out of balance where we would err on the side of mercy. We would err on the side of giving people the benefit of the doubt. May New City be that kind of place, be that kind of church. We be that those kind of people in our families and in our neighborhoods and our, in our workplaces, God, that we err on the side of mercy, giving people just a little glimpse of what our God is like. So help us by your grace and by your spirit. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.